All right, so what have we got for the rest of this time together? Um, firstly, Claire and Hannah are going to update us on our great work with our endless children. Quick little story. I was chatting with a church planter in Pasadena this past week, and they have no kids in the church. And I said to him, and they've got one room like this, they don't have an extra room. And I said to him, Garrison, prepare as if the children are coming. Uh, when, we were, when we didn't have kids out at Common Thread Collective, we had people in Genesis Kids t-shirts every Sunday. So that when the family came, that surprise family, they said, well, do you have something for the children? We'd say, oh, yeah, we, yeah, we do. There they are, you know. And so week in and week out, we had a team on standby. And he told me very happily that they had a team on standby and had seven kids this morning. So that's a kind of cool and fun story. But uh, Claire and Hannah have been absolute troopers. Uh, they do this completely free gratis and for nothing. We don't have budget to pay them. And so they just do it out of love for the children and for the community. So they want to say hi and just a quick update on the Genesis Kids happening. So come on, you two. which is kind of a loose term right now, but it is um, super fun. It has been such a joy. Um, I do kind of want to talk about for a second why it started, and then we'll talk a little bit about what's actually happening over there. We have an amazing team of um, volunteers, and it's going, honestly, a little bit smoother than it has been in a while, but even, as Chris was saying, like in the heartbeat of preparing for more families and um, believing that older kids are coming, we we'll need to double our volunteer team. So we are gonna tell you a little bit about what's going on. Um, the initial kind of, I think, um, thing for me, um, when I came, started coming to Genesis, there was kind of like a week, week by week, like, well, we have two kids, who wants to go to the park? And it was like, okay, we'll go to the park, it'll be fun. Um, it was kind of just like a little bit chaotic. And I have not ever considered myself a kid person. So if you're sitting here in the room and you're like, I am not a kid person, um, same. And um, it's honestly like, if you haven't really been around kids very often, that can be a really intimidating space to step into. But this kind of came at a time when Claire and I were living in an apartment in Orange and we had neighbor kids knocking on our door every day to play with my dog. And my dog is a kid person. And so we're like, okay, like we just found ourselves hanging out with these kids almost every day after work in the afternoons. And um, God just really, I think, cast a vision in me for um, just kids and their value. And he gave me an image of the important um, here's a who flower, which is a weird way to go, but it's kids. And um, in that story, if you watch the movie or read the book, the Who's are on this little flower and they're trying to convince the Who's that they exist. Or, and they're like, we're here, we're here, we're here. And Horton is the only one who can hear them. And um, I just was having these kids knocking on the door and I just felt like, man, like, isn't that the cry of the human being in general? Like, we're here, we're here. Like, we're just trying to convince everyone that, like, we matter, that we're here. Pay attention to us, we're here. Like, um, so anyways, I saw myself in the kids that were knocking on my door and really just had this deep desire to um, engage in that space here. So that's kind of where it birthed from. Um, if you are wondering where we meet, we do meet over there. Sometimes you might see flying projectiles in the windows. That's normal. It's called play. Um, we 
do pterodactyl screams, we do um, walks, we do crafts, we do hopscotch, we make obstacle courses. It's Somebody prayed over me today and they were like, we just thank you for the space of creativity. Thanks, kids. And I was like, yeah, totally. Like, it, it's honestly really inconsistent right now, but our age range is pretty young. And that is what it looks like to love on kids is to play with them and to get to know them in that space. Um, so yeah, right now we're kind of capped at four years old. Logistically, that's kind of the age range that we're taking. And that's just because that's who we have consistently. If we start to have more consistent older kids, then we will Right? Be ready for that. Right? Everybody? Yeah. Um, but for now, it's little guys and we are playing. Um, and that is significant. That's a significant space because we are attempting to build church family into the lives of our kids. We are wanting kids to walk into church on a Sunday and know faces of adults and say, like, hi. And it seems small, but I remember being a kid and there was one girl, her name was Jess, and she knew what book I was reading and she always asked me, like, how's your book? Like, I, it matters that kids would walk in and feel like they know people in this space. So that's what we're doing. Um, those are the those are the main. Did I say everything? Come on, Claire. I think Anna, Anna said most of what I was supposed to say. So that's good. <laughs> Sorry. No, I like I don't want to follow that. Um, yeah, totally. Um, no, okay, so, yeah, no, like Hannah's saying, I think we've been really praying and trying to vision cast, like, what does it look like to not only love the kids in our community, but include them in our community and make them feel like, not only do we, we see them, but that they matter, you know, and that these are people that are not just a side project that happens over there that nobody sees, but that they're, like, the most integral and important part of, like, what is what God is doing. Um, and so with that being said, we need more kids volunteers. Right. And that could be any of you. Um, and just logistically a little bit, it's about a once every six week or so commitment. Um, and we use planning center. So if there's days that you need to block out, no problem. So don't worry about that. And um, yeah, we are just like, so we, we talked even about how cool it would be if everybody could be a kids volunteer and the kids could know everybody in our community. Um, but yeah, we just like really want to invite you guys into this space and join us. It's very fun, um, very goofy. And yeah, please, if you're interested, even like a little bit, come talk to us. We would love to like just hear more from you guys. And yeah, we're not really looking for kid people. We're looking for community builders, which come on, all of you guys. So yeah, I think that's, that's all we have, but we're really excited. Please come chat with us. We'll be around. Um, we appreciate all of you guys who are currently helping with kids and yeah, we're so excited for what God's going to do. We're just praying into like more kids, more volunteers, and it's so exciting. Two quick slides, and then Meryl's going to come up. Um, the first is must do, can do. Five years we've been going. Each year we've had a fast weekend. This year is the same and different. The same is that the 9th through to the 11th, yes, you are welcome to put in your phones now. Yes, it is obligatory. If you walk through those doors, you fast with us. Um, it's a super fruit juice, nice soft introduction to fasting. We'll start Friday morning. Those who want to meet me at 6.30 at the Back Bay, we'll go and pray at the Back Bay. Friday night, we'll worship together. Saturday morning, we'll do Genesis everywhere. We'll have lots of different spaces and spots where people will be praying in groups. And then Sunday night, we'll have a time of worship and we'll eat together. We normally get a taco truck or something, and we'll just kind of land it around the table, around the table. So that's a super cool thing. And then the second is just uh, for those of you married or Maddie who are engaged. 
This is your moment. Slide, please. A conversation around marriage. So that was Meryl and I when she was 16. That put me at 19. You can see that, can't you? <laughs> Nothing's changed. So, uh, December the 6th, we're having a, a question and response time. Second. Cheese and wine. This, is, is that what I said? Second, thank you. Um, I was reading 6.30. I'm so ahead of the game. You know what I mean? AJ, I'm just like always prophetic. So Friday, December 2nd at 6.30. Um, it's for married couples or engaged soon to be married. We'll do a cheese and wine together. We'll hang out and we'll dialogue around marriage. And then we've got a date set for Friday, Saturday, uh, marriage training that Meryl will do then. Okay, thank you. So let's move on. Um, we've been in a series of conversations, an invitation to spiritual practices and uh, uh, disciplines, I apologize. And uh, we've taken about five weeks so far. This evening is slightly different because we're going to talk about community. Now, most authors who write about the spiritual disciplines don't speak about community as a discipline. I think it should be. Uh, Meryl and I, as you'll hear from her story in just a moment, have been walking in community for 45 years. That's when we said yes to Jesus, and but for a short window of about seven months when we handed over the church in Brea to Alan and the team, we, uh, we spent in a seven-month window, whatever, I can't remember the exact time, but uh, we were with Todd and Lisa at Canopy, and we were with Terry and Linda, whom you know, up in uh, Pasadena area, helping them, but they were also community to us. We are fervent believers in the power of community to deal with the pandemic of loneliness that's overwhelming our world. And Meryl, as a therapist, will speak more about that in just, in just a moment. I am absolutely persuaded Christianity is a plural word. The idea of it being a singular word is true only in our modern vernacular, in what Charles Taylor calls excessive individualism. It's where we are at what another author said, uh, who was it who said, it's actually a great quote, who said we are born narcissists and community takes narcissism out of us. Now if you're never in community, you probably have an ongoing narcissistic predisposition. All that matters is you, your world, your decisions, your comfort, your convenience, what is best for you. And so what community does is it reverses the process of narcissism and empowers us through Christian community to do life together in honesty and vulnerability and transparency. Now, Meryl and I were going to co-teach, but two things became obvious. The one was she didn't have 15 minutes, she had more. And the second, as you can hear from my voice, is I've been fighting with the head cold. So I said to her today, babe, why don't you run with it? If it's 20 minutes, you know what? Everyone's going to rejoice that it isn't my normal 43 and a half minutes. Everyone is going to be delighted that we could hit the table with some space. And if it's longer, it's going to be good. So uh, would you extend your hands to Meryl as she comes and sets up? This is my wonderful wife. This month, I pardon my love. You can, my baby. You can do anything you want. We'll talk later. All right. Um, and uh, this month, a couple of weeks' time, we'll be married 42 years. So we've, we've been in love with Jesus for 45. We've been in love with each other for 45. We just dated for three years and then got married. And um, so this is deep and dear to our hearts. Would you extend your hands to Meryl? It's way more symbolic than it's powerful necessarily. But I think for those of us who teach 
the sense of partnership, we with you, you with us, makes for an extraordinary moment. Come on up, my love. Heavenly Father, I do thank you for the power of model and message. This is an account, Theophilus, of what Jesus did and taught. It is in the doing that true revelation comes. And I ask tonight that we, a community, will open our hearts to a mother in the community to hear what the heart of the Spirit is about doing life together and the power therein. Open our hearts. Uh, expose our blind spots. Uh, where we are broken, hurting and limping, be the balm of Gilead that heals us and brings tenderness and gentleness to our troubled souls. Bless Meryl as she speaks. Grant her confidence, comfort, but conviction that she can speak the words true to the text in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Don't mind, babe. Yes, definitely. Oh, I didn't bring my Bible. So order, please. Okay. Sorry, am I messing up the camera by moving back? I just don't like people being behind me. Well, that's, when you're a prophet, everyone's behind Is you. that okay? I'm not a prophet. <laughs> oh, gosh. I just want to see your faces and not be kind of there and you're all behind me. Um, it's an incredible privilege to be speaking tonight, except I thought until this afternoon you were speaking. You I kept was. telling me you were doing fine and you were going to be you know, here. And no, no, you were going to cover the theology and I just had to do this. So <laughs> I, um, I'm taking one angle on community and um, I'm trusting that God is going to minister to all of us. So thank you for the, the wonderful privilege. Um, the church that Chris and I were um, young, zealous lovers of Jesus, and we planted a church 40 years ago. And that church called us this week to say they are celebrating their 40th in September, and would we come out for the, you know, the celebration, the, the 40th birthday celebration. Wow, that is a long time. And that was the soil in which I learned Christian community, and that was the soil that fashioned me in what I believe to be a critical uh, value, a core value of, of who we are as followers of Jesus. So we were a motley crew. We were in our early 20s, similar to this gathering, actually, um, and we decided to plant this community, and we had some core biblical values, and one of them was we wanted to be a community. We wanted to do life on life. Um, after 40 years of living in Christian community, I want to share with you a very personal lens on why I believe in Christian community more than ever after 40 years of doing life with fellow believers. I'm so grateful for the profound impact that it's had on not only me, but on my family. And I'm going to share some of that. So. These are my simple convictions about Christian community. There's three of them. I'm only going to speak on one. Can you all hear me? Yeah, I just feel like I'm moving. Bit. No, I feel like I'm moving more and more back. You are. Well, I just don't like this. <laughs> and it's got to feel right. <laughs> it doesn't feel right. Because <laughs> you're still behind me over there and there. Anyway, okay, Meryl, just focus. I'm an aesthetic person, so stuff worries me like this. Anyway, <laughs> so these are my convictions about Christian community. There's three of them. I'm going to speak on one. Firstly, Jesus modeled it. Just read the Gospels. 
read how Jesus lived and how he did ministry. He did it in community, ever-increasing circles of community. Number two, it's the most powerful witness, I believe, of the gospel. I think when Christian community is done well, it is the gospel preached without the words. And then thirdly, it's good for me. It is good for us. And that's kind of the angle that I'm going to take tonight. So Genesis 2, we read these powerful words when God made Adam in his image and likeness. And God says, once he made Adam, he said, it is very good. He made creation. He said, it is good. It is good. And then when he made Adam, he said, it is very good. And then verse 18, he said, it is not good for man to be alone. Isn't that incredible? He made Adam, said it is good, very good. And then it is not good for man to be alone. So God made us for one another. He made us for relationship with one another. We are born for love, to give and receive. It's in our nature to nurture and be nurtured. At a neurobiological level, we are designed by God to attach. Uh, we are born wired, innately wired for human connection. And this connection then shapes our neurological development. The, the, the importance of those early attachment relationships are so important for the development of the brain. A newborn's innate instinct is to attach to the mother and to nurse, or uh, nurse from the mother, and its very survival depends upon that. Um, there's something, I know a lot of you haven't had babies yet, you've got a lot to look forward to, but you know, some of us have, and that incredible, like mystical moment where a little, your little newborn baby, Haley, where are you? Kat, where are you? You're about to experience this, our two pregnant moms. Um, when that little newborn baby actually looks into your eyes and you connect with this little person. And that is a most mystical moment because I always remember thinking, you are staring into my soul. Like you see me and you're this tiny little thing like this big and yet you see me. And that was the feeling I had. So then I go to school, you know, to become a marriage and family therapist, and I learn about mirror neurons in the baby's brain. There are hundreds of them and they're just multiplying because that is actually what, ha what is happening. These mirror neurons are the brain's trigger responses that capture what they see and feel and experience and then they mirror those experiences back. So that baby's first smile, when no, it's not gas or anything else, but when that baby's first smiles at you and you know it's a genuine smile, that's one of the first things they do because you as a parent, what do, what do we all do to our babies? Hi, you're so cute. We just, we love them and we smile. They see smiling faces looking at them. And so what do newborn babies do? One of the first things they do is they smile back at you. Isn't that phenomenal? That first smile, I'm telling you, it's incredible. So we survive as a human race because we love. 
and are loved in return. We love because we have the capacity for empathy. Um, as parents, maternal, paternal, the instinct is so strong to take care of that little one because you have empathy for it. This is a completely helpless, completely dependent, noisy, stinky, inconvenient little creature called a newborn baby, and yet you love it, and you nurture it, and you care for it, and you look after it. It's amazing. I had three cesarean births with my three children, and um, I was told at the hospital, okay, so you've got to go home, you, you've got to rest, you're not allowed to drive, you can't walk upstairs, you're not allowed to jump or do any physical anything physical until your, your, you know, your cesarean scar has healed up. Well, you try and tell that to my limbic system when I'm in a deep slumber and my baby cries and before I know it, before my prefrontal cortex has actually woken up, I am out of bed and down the passage and then I'm <gasps> like in pain because I leapt out of bed and I started running. And Meryl would say, why didn't you get out of bed? <laughs> I'm like, what the hell, girl? Yeah. Before I hear the cry, you yeah. going down the passageway. Okay, so my empathy and maternal instincts were stronger than your paternal hey. I've never been a great mother. I've never been. <laughs> oh my gosh, but that happened with every single baby. Literally before I'm awake, my limbic system heard something and I was out of bed responding. We have empathy, I believe, because we are made in the image and likeness of God. God, uh, Scripture tells us, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son for our atonement. I am so grateful that God had empathy for our fallen, broken, sinful selves. Like, that's what he did. He really had empathy for we were not able to save ourselves. Empathy helps foster the sense of feeling felt. I love this term. And by someone who is attuned to our words and our internal feelings. That's the feeling of feeling felt. Have you ever had it with somebody? You just have this moment, and I'll read what Dan Siegel says. He says, we feel this resonance as a palpable sense of connection and aliveness. This is what happens when our minds meet. So that feeling of feeling felt is when you're attuned to somebody's inner feelings and the words that they're saying you're deeply hearing. And you get this beautiful feeling of feeling felt with someone. We thrive when we are raised in loving extended families with numerous adults, yes, numerous adults, not just parents, hearing and encouraging our relational skills and developments. I love what Hannah and Claire we're saying, what did you say? You said it's a, it's a community thing. Yeah, yeah. What did you? You said something so profound. I want to remember it now. I've forgotten. But you, you, they captured it so beautifully. These little kids that you go out there to, to take care of, they are part of us, and they get to feel what this community feels like because you go in there and you share your love, your care, your attention. You see them, then when you see them tonight, who, somebody said, oh, Cedar's in the house, Sam, must have been Sam. Cedar's in the house because we know little Cedar and we love him, he's part of us. There's a beautiful saying that says it takes a village to raise a child, and I really actually think it does. 
Um, it's not meant to be the solo responsibility of exhausted parents. So I'm giving all the parents in the house, young parents, uh, um, a shout out. And I want to ask this question. When, I'm not looking at anybody, when was the last time you went to one of the parents in, in our community and said to them, I want to take your kids, take your kid for a night, for a day, for a, a, a couple of hours, and you're not paying me. Like just, I'm babysitting because I want to serve you. When was the last time? That's community. We are born for love. Sorry, I hope that was okay. Okay, that's a mom speaking, okay? I remember so clearly being a young mom in this church we planted 40 years ago, it was about 35 years in, whatever, and I had two babies, and I remember spending the whole meeting outside, we had a school, we were in a school hall, outside because, you know, I had two babies, and they were just too noisy, and we didn't have kids ministry, and I remember kind of going home thinking, wow, I didn't get anything out of that, <laughs> but I was there. Anyway, so now I can punt for the, all the moms that need extra help. Let's be community to them. We are born for love, and yet we live in an age where the relational milieu of our society has started to collapse. We're surrounded, we're surrounded by people, and yet we are lonely. We are so lonely. Here's a quote from Dan Siegel from his book, Mindsight, which is an incredible book. He says, the brain is a social organ, and our relationships with one another are not a luxury but an essential nutrient for our survival. Cigna released a study called the loneliness epidemic. I don't want to spend too much time here because I think we all know we are living in a loneliness epidemic. 58% of Americans cons consider themselves lonely. 79% um, of 18 to 24 year olds report feeling lonely compared to 41% of those 66 and older. Isn't that interesting? Used to be the other way around. Used to be the older people were the ones who really felt lonely. Now, 79%, 18 to 24, and 41% older than 66 feel lonely. One in four report that they never feel people understand them. One in five report that they never have close people to talk to. Gen Z's, the conclusion is that are the loneliest generation in American history. So we are facing something that's unprecedented. Loneliness and isolation are associated with numerous mental health concerns. We all know this, we hear the stats, we're hearing all the things. And there's some marriage and family therapists in the house that I met tonight. <laughs> um, New York Times released an article um, oh, sorry. Did I say? Yes, loneliness is also damaging our physical health. New York Times released this article called How Loneliness is Damaging Our Health. And it, took, it looked at our immune system being compromised because of loneliness. Fascinating. We are surrounded by people and yet we are lonely. I want to ask you a question. Why do you think the early church grew from 1,000 people in A.D. 40 to 30 million in AD 350. That's phenomenal growth. A thousand people in AD 40 to three, uh, sorry, th what did I say? 30 million in 350 AD. Astonishing growth. 
Obviously, they were empowered by the Holy Spirit. You know, you look at the book of Acts and you see when the Holy Spirit came upon them and they were witnesses. You see all of that. But these believers were living in, and loving each other in smaller communities of faith. And let's read it in Acts 2, verse 42 to 47. I think there's a slide, but I'm going to read from here. Okay, Acts 2.42 They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Isn't that incredible? So the Holy Spirit comes upon them. You'll read that in Acts 2. And then this is what that community, that early Christian community looked like. Community is good for your whole being, mental, physical, emotional, spiritual. Current research in almost all academic disciplines are actually backing up this fact. Recently, I listened to uh, 12, um, 12 lectures on health, like physical health, and every one of them mentioned relational, the importance of relational connectedness, which I found really interesting. Deep relationships, guys, takes time and investment. There is no such thing as instant friendship. It just doesn't exist. It takes time and invent, intention. I used to say to my kids when they were little, where's Dana, is she here? She'll remember, I used to say, to have a good friend, you have to be a good friend. And I would just say that to them over and over, to try and instill in them this relational commitment. To have good friends, you've got to be a good friend. You've got to invest. You've got to be vulnerable. You've got to be open. I don't trust anybody. I don't just walk up to somebody and share my life story. But there's got to be somebody that you do that with. Trust is earned. Yes, it's built. And it's built in community. I want to say our table communities that we do have I want to say they should be the safest relational space for all of us, that you can share whatever needs to be shared in that space, and it's held in the highest confidence. God designs, designed our brains to run on love like a car runs on fuel. The gospel declares the reality of his profound love for us and opens us to be known by God. Number six, this is one of my favorite scriptures, verse 24. Listen to what it says. I think we all know it. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Do you daily bask in the fact that your father in heaven turns his face towards you? 
and he shines on you. His face is turned towards you and he wants to know you and be intimate with you. I love that and I think that's the foundation of the security that we get to be able to do that with one another. The Bible instructs us in the new life that we are called into in Christian communities as communities of love. Just like newborn babies, new believers need those kind of communities. They need relational love, empathy, compassion, kindness, sacrifice, and joy. We all need to be known. Joy is that beautiful feeling that you feel when somebody is happy to be with you. Okay, so let's picture this. There's somebody that you know deeply. You walk into a room like this. You see them across the room. It happens to me every Sunday when I see my little grandkids. You, you, you see somebody that you're in community with. And as you see them, they see you. And their faces light up with happiness to see you. What does it do inside of you? Joy. Like when you see that because you've got this deep relationship with somebody. You care about somebody and you mutually know they care about you. That is what being known is all about. 1 Corinthians 13. Um, I'm going to read it quick. Actually, you know what? I'm not. I'm rushing a little bit. Okay, it's that beautiful scripture that... No, I need to read it. (laughs) It doesn't make sense if I don't read it. Okay. So 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 to 7. This is what it says. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered, and it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes, and it always perseveres. This kind of love is what that early church was all about. That is the kind of community love they were building. And it it includes this. It's the process of being known. That kind of love helps you to be fully known. It's the experience you get of feeling felt that we spoke about earlier. It's the encounter of being validated, but never coddled. Being cared for, but not overwhelmed or patronized. Being fully understood while called into proper risk-taking adventure. Being healed and awakened to growth, compassion, and responsibility. Kurt Thompson wrote a book called The Anatomy of the Soul, and this is what he says. Furthermore, about this scripture. Furthermore, this process requires us to live in close proximity to one another. Becoming a body that breathes justice and mercy requires the presence of love, which which then doubles back its full development, then depending on that very community. Ultimately, the cycle is empowered by the Holy Spirit who created all of this through the process of being known. This is the community, the body that Paul describes in 1 Corinthians 12. We are to be people who are as fully known by each other as possible. This is accomplished in the freedom and power of confession and forgiveness. That's what I love about this table that's sitting right in front of us. That's what happens in community. We can come 
We can be known. We can go to one another when we need to repent. We can confess our sin. We can find forgiveness. Um, we need each other. Our sense of vitality and well-being depends on deeper connection and fully being known. I can keep you busy, unfortunately, tonight with the imperfections, the weaknesses, the mistakes that happen in churches and real community. I, I really could, and I don't want to. Just funny enough, just this afternoon, I received a message from a close family member saying to me with a broken heart how hard it is for her because she's been hurt by the church to try and get back into community. And that it just breaks my heart, but it's there. But on this point, let's read Bonhoeffer. This is what he said. I loved it. Just as the Christian should not be constantly feeling his spiritual pulse, so too the Christian community has not been given to us by God for us to be constantly taking its temperature. The more thankfully we daily receive what is given to us, the more surely and steadily will fellowship increase and grow from day to day as God pleases. He goes on and says, we enter not as demanders, but as thankful recipients. If you come into community as a demander, this is what I'm thinking it should be. This is how it needs to look. This is what every table community has got to offer me. If you come in as a demander, you're going to be really disappointed and probably hurt and rejected. But if you come in with this thankful recipient attitude of God, this imperfect body is still your body. It is still who you choose to spread your gospel through. This imperfect body, me, is still the most powerful evangelistic tool that you have to show what communities of love and light look like. To show what it looks like to love one another in this Holy Spirit way. It says there were no needy amongst them. Stu did such a good job on that. But basically, this means people knew what others had need of. Okay, so this could only happen three ways. One, they shared with one another what their needs were. Two, they lived in such close community that they saw what the other needs were, all by revelation from the Holy Spirit. And I just wanted to say, I've been the recipient of beautiful, loving acts of generosity from Christian community. I've, you know, I've been there when people have, somebody arrived at my door and said, she's there to clean and wash my dishes while I pack my suitcase for an overseas trip. How humbling is that? She said, I'm just here to clean and tidy your house while you pack for a trip. I've been the recipient of people watching our kids saying, you and Chris take a night away. We want to watch your kids. I've been the recipient of this Genesis community when Chris had his Surgery, bringing meals over. I've been the recipient, and I'm sure you have too. I recently had to say to somebody who was, you know, sitting with me sharing, I had to say, does anyone know what your real needs are? Have you asked anyone to pray with you, like, to help you look at these issues? You see, she grew up in that culture of individualism and independence that applauded these as virtues. Well, actually, are they virtues? 
If nobody knows what your needs are, is that a virtue in our community? Community has also grown me spiritually. It's been good for my spiritual growth. I've had men and women who have spoken in deeply into some of the flawed areas, and it's been good for me. Uh, years ago, when I was mid-20s, um, uh, God brought a, a family into our community with five of them. They were the first sort of demographically older family that joined us as a young community. We were so excited by them. I became friends with this, this woman. Her name was Beulah. She was 20 years older than me. And I cannot tell you, I still am filled to the top of my head, to the tip of my toes with gratitude to God for bringing Beulah into my life. Proverbs said, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Beulah didn't patronize me. She didn't coddle me. She spoke the truth in love. She corrected me. She sometimes rebuked me. Most often, she encouraged me to become the best version of myself that God was making me to be. She called me out. She called me out on my young 20-something-year-old stuff. <laughs> and I am so, so grateful that community done in this way, faithful are the wounds of a friend, the correction that comes with such love and intimacy because somebody knows you. They see who God is calling you to be and they call you out on your stuff. That is the community I want to be a part of. Christian community is beautiful and it's flawed, but it is good. It is good for you. It is good for me. It is good for spiritual growth. And it's also good mentally, emotionally, and physically. It's me. Dee, do you want to come? I want you to hear very carefully what God is saying to us. I was walking up here one Sunday, and uh, a friend, we bumped into each other. They were going to gun well. He said... Come and look at my church. And there were six of them having a beer together. And I wanted to weep. That's not Christian community. That's Christian friendship. Christian community is way more profound. Way deeper. It's when we're on our knees together weeping because of our own brokenness. As the presence of God comes and meets with us. As we pray together. As we hug around the text. As we scramble around the table in our own nakedness. It's deeper. It's more profound. I, I know we bumped into Beulah our last trip to South Africa. She's 80 now. And I watched Meryl and her engage with deep tears. She once told Meryl as a pastor's wife with two kids, Meryl, you better grow up. It's only going to get harder. It's only going to get harder. <laughs> True words. You'd better grow up. That's the quality of discipleship and biblical community that I want to be part of. We're going to come to the table, um, but before we do, one of the things that is so powerful about the resurrection of Jesus is it is the continual reminder that we can begin again. Um, in death and resurrection, there is always new life. The creator God is always recreating in us. 
And before we come to the table, I want us to take a moment of honest reflection um, in two ways. One, if we have felt ourselves uh, and our view of Christian community stained by our own experience, by experiences of others, and we just kind of can't we, you know, it's like, I, I just can't really invest. I can't really allow myself to be known. Before we come to the table, I want to give us a moment, if, if not to fully allow Jesus in, but at least to acknowledge to the Spirit that we are struggling with that. And the second kind of, if that's not you, maybe this evening it's, God, I want to be a part of those who are reimagining what the bride of Christ, what the church can really look like. Um, there's a moment at the end of Galatians where the writer says, carry each other's burdens because in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. By carrying each other's burdens, by standing with one another in faith and solidarity and honesty and righteousness, this is how we fulfill the law of Christ. And so we're going to take a moment, I'm going to invite the worship team up, but before we come to the table, Let's take a moment of prayer, a moment of reflection, and say, God, either I have an issue with the church, and I'm acknowledging that in your presence, or I want to be a part, and maybe it's both, of reimagining what true Christian community can look like. Can we do that together? And then we're going to come to communion. Lord, we, let's close our eyes if that's comfortable for you, if you want to open your hands, however you want to do business with Jesus. We come to you in honesty, and we just acknowledge where we are tonight. You are big enough. Your resurrection is powerful enough to transform this. Let's take a minute.